I don't like to be unpunctual, but the town's very busy tonight. This is the night that they switch on the lights, so uh, some of you took a little bit of time getting here. I'm going to begin with 491. It's put in the first person of the Lord speaking. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave my life for thee. And really, the challenge is, what hast thou given for me? So the Lord is throwing out the challenge here in the hymn, uh, what he's done for us, and then what have we done for him? May we feel the burden and the challenge of these words.
the challenge before us will bow in prayer, seek the face of our God. Loving Father, we thank you for the return of the midweek meeting, for the people of God that are here, for the presence of the Saviour who was here before we came. We thank you for the dear Lord Jesus who has promised to be in the midst of a gathering as we assemble in his name. We thank you that he's here to speak words of encouragement to us, like in the days of old when he came and he stood in the midst of the disciples, he said, peace be unto you. We rejoice tonight that we have peace, peace through the blood of the cross, peace through the blood of the everlasting covenant. We look back to the crucifixion of our Savior, the dying of thy dear Son, when there upon that center tree he poured out his life's blood as the ransom price for our sin. When he endured the wrath of God for us, standing in our place, becoming our substitute, we can say with the hymn writer, in my place condemned he stood. He sealed my pardon with his blood. And from the depths of our being we say, hallelujah, what a saviour. It is our desire that the Lord will be here working in our hearts as we have this type of missionary meeting again and reflect upon the ministry of Dr. Bill Woods. Thank you for the many years he served the Lord, the sacrifices that he made, the places that he went to, the people in the providence of God that crossed his path. Thank the Lord that he not only gave sight to the blind, he not only cured many that were suffering with leprosy and lupus disease and other things, but he brought the gospel everywhere he went. And we know that there at the right hand of God in glory, there will be many who will meet him in that better country, in Emmanuel's land, because God sent this missionary to the land of Brazil. Lord, we pray that thou will bless us here Abide with us tonight, we would constrain thee to stay and warm our hearts with your presence so that we might have that experience that the two had on the road to Emmaus when their heart burned within them. Hear this our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. 596. I can remember when we put together the DVD presentation for Dr. Bill Wood's that he was anxious to get the, the tune of this hymn as part of the background music for his presentation. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing, but oh the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king. And Bill back then was thinking about other missionaries who had come, and like Ina Orr, and didn't quite make it to her final destination on the mission field and how the someday for all of us the silver cord will break but praise God we'll see him we'll see him face to face
be seated. Run through the announcements quickly, but I first of all welcome you to the midweek service in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And if you're tuning in online, welcome also to the congregation on Sermon Audio, Facebook and YouTube. Chris Killen is with us tomorrow night at the Youth Fellowship at 8 o'clock. Saturday morning is the open air in the town at 11. The prayer meeting on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. Sunday school, 10.30. And it's the special Bring a Friend. So just emphasize that with you. And make sure that if you have children, that they get the invitations out and bring their friends with them. Bible class, 10.45. Pilgrim's Problems is the same, smitten with loss and grief. Worship service at 12 noon. We continue with the eldership of the church and then the gospel service at night at 7 o'clock. Do remember us as we preach the word on the Sabbath day. We have the election of elders on Monday the 20th of November at 8 o'clock and the list has been posted uh, on the board. Those that are members of the church and those that are eligible to be voted for. Anyone seeking membership in the church should see me as soon as possible. And then can I mention that the Independent Christian School is having an open day. That will be on Friday the 24th of November. So that's tomorrow week from 3 o'clock until 7 p.m. The special meeting, the life and legacy of Dr. Bill Woods will be on the 3rd of December. <coughs> and that's in the Martyrs at 3.30 in the afternoon. We have a list now at the back if you want to put your name on it. Uh, you're not going by car, for example. Many of you might take your car, but if you want transport in the church minibuses, the list is there. Begin to fill it out now so that we can count you in. Schools, carol service, Friday the 8th of December, 12 noon. Help will be needed with the buffet lunch. Uh, we just need a few people. Uh, if you can see my wife about that, please. <coughs> and just maybe to mention that we're purchasing 500 selection boxes for the school's carol service, the youth challenge, and the Sunday school. And if you wish to help with that, because this is more of an expense this year than ever, um, six schools have responded already. One school, uh, I think I told you, want to bring all their pupils of 89. Uh, another school today said at the moment they will bring all of their P7, which is 59 uh, pupils, and they were talking about bringing P5 and P6 as well, so that could be nearly 200 from that school. So if you'd like to help with this, we've just a few envelopes at the back on the table there. You can take one and give a contribution. Our own Christmas dinner is on the 20th. It's Wednesday night, the 20th of December. And if you are going, that's the details there, as we've said in the Lord's Day. And on Sunday, you'll be able to put your name on the list provided. You'll have to choose whether you want turkey or beef, but you'll also have to choose what you want to eat as far as the sweet is concerned. And there will be a choice uh, of two. The calendars from Let the Bible Speak for 2014 are available. They're four pounds each, and all the proceeds go to Let the Bible Speak. We'd like to sing, so we're going to sing a hymn that's not in the hymn book, but one that you should know. In shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the waters cool flow, bathes the weary one's feet. God leads his dear children along. 
Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. You'll hear Bill quoting the chorus of that as he walks through the mud. Uh, uh, he changes it slightly because he's kind of stuck a wee bit in the mud. But anyhow, we're going to sing it as it is in the original. And we'll stand to sing. Thank you. 
I want to hasten as soon as I can to the DVD presentation, but on Sunday morning I had the, the privilege and the honour of speaking to the young people of the Bible class, and we talked about missions, and tonight is a meeting to do with missions. <clears throat> the Great Commission is summarised in all the Gospels, and we went through these verses with the youth, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Then we have what is probably the most common uh, quotation of the Great Commission in Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Thinking of Luke, at the end of Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verse 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Lord Jesus comes and Stands in the midst of the disciples, he says to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. We go into Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Great verse that speaks about the might and the power of the Holy Spirit and the necessity of it. Uh, we ask our young people, what is the sign of being filled with the Spirit of God? And uh, You will know in this charismatic Pentecostal age, there's lots of answers to that. But there's only one biblical answer. And Jesus gives the answer here, ye shall receive power. And the sign of being filled with the Spirit is power. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. And then he outlines where they begin. In Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. At the beginning of the Lord's ministry in John 4 verse 35... As he speaks to the disciples in the midst of the story of the woman of Samaria, he says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then come with harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look in the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. And I'm always challenged by the words of Christ as he speaks from personal testimony in John chapter 9. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. So after quoting these scriptures to our young people on Sunday morning, we, we also looked at some of the great quotations from missionaries who served the Lord in the past. For example, Hudson Taylor, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered, it is a command to be obeyed. And of course, I could stop every time and, and pass on some thoughts, but I don't want to do that. Oswald J. Smith, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice why there is someone who hasn't heard it once. Very challenging. Definition of what a missionary is, someone who leaves their family for a short time so others may be with their families for eternity. They may leave their families for a long time, some missionaries. William Carey, to know the will of God, we need an open Bible and an open map. I was just really getting before God and his word and a map of the world, and praying about the nations. 
William Carey, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. C.T. Studd, some wish to live within the sound of a church and chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. C.T. Studd again, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Charles Spurgeon said, if there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is in the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. I say amen to that. And then finally from Henry Martin, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. One of the greatest missionaries that you and I have ever known is Dr. Bill Woods, who is with Christ today. Some of you, not many of you, will remember him when he looked like this. That's going back a very, very long time. No moustache, no beard in those days. Then more recently, uh, this is how we knew him, and that's him on horseback out in the Amazon. When I was 30 years in the ministry, um, someone sent me this. I should have it myself, but they sent me this today. We got this photograph taken just here, just somewhere here. That's where the cake was, and our brother Bill was there on that occasion, and he, he spoke, and the words that he said, I hardly recognized who he was talking about, but there you go. He was very kind and very gracious. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not. To him it is sin. That was his motto text. Now, we're going to see this um, DVD presentation tonight. This has been edited. Nothing has been added. Nothing has been taken away. But we have edited it into widescreen, okay? So it took a little bit of time to do that, but widescreen is what you see now, and this is how it's going to look tonight. May the Lord make it a blessing to you. Brazil is the largest country in South America. When we think of Brazil, we think of the beautiful city of Rio de Janeiro. We think of the waterfalls of Iguazu with all their splendor. Or we think about football and famous football players. But we don't think about leprosy. Yet until 2005, Brazil had the highest prevalence of leprosy in the world and still registers 40,000 new cases every year. Within Brazil, for 60 years, the Acre state had the highest incidence of leprosy. For decades, people who feared they might have the disease hid away and came forward only when it was too late to help them. Such was the case of this pretty 16-year-old called Dora. When she discovered she had leprosy, she hid away in the jungle and didn't come back to town until 20 years later when her hands had been crippled and her feet destroyed. But today, that has all changed. People come with just a small skin patch that can be cured. When skin examinations for early diagnosis of leprosy are announced, everybody comes. Until recently, 110 out of every 10,000 inhabitants of the state of Acre had leprosy. That has now dropped to below 2 in 10,000. 
And the strange thing is that this dramatic change was brought about by a boy from Belfast, who was one of the worst students who ever attended Belfast High School. His average mark in Latin was 7%. Yet, in the Ministry of Health in Brasilia, Brazil's capital city, there's a portrait gallery of all the leading Brazilian surgeons and scientists. And among those illustrious portraits is one of that boy. I call to the platform Dr. William Woods. Dr. William, this tribute comes from the people of this state. We all love you. He's an honored member of the Acre Academy of Medicine. He was twice honored by the Brazilian Minister of Health, and he received an OBE from Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth in recognition of his sterling work. I have been 15 years now in the Amazon rainforest, and as we think together of all that the Lord has done in spite of me, I ask you with me to magnify the Lord and let us exalt his name together. I was born on the 5th of October 1937 at 50 Ranley Street in Belfast. When I was barely two years old, the Second World War began. My father was an Ulster volunteer. He was not conscripted. His ship, the Empire Hope, was one of the first ships on the Malta convoy to be destroyed by enemy planes overhead. As it sank, the order was given to abandon ship, but he and another man remained on board until the waters of the Mediterranean put their guns out of action. This brought an invitation for the family to Buckingham Palace, where he was decorated by the late King George. In the meantime, my mother rented part of the schoolhouse in Bellegown, where we spent the war years. As the war drew to an end, the family moved back to live on the Ravenhill Road, where I attended as a child the Ravenhill Free Evangelical Church. But it wasn't until I joined the 30th BB Company attached to Orangefield Presbyterian Church that I first came really to understand the gospel. Sunday school teachers and BB officers took me to a gospel meeting in McQuiston Presbyterian Church conducted by Oswald Smith from Canada. It was there I indicated first my desire to become a Christian. But because I was 12, I was given a little decision card to sign. However, I soon started attending again the Ravenhill Free Presbyterian Church. An enthusiastic young preacher was beginning his long career. And it was there on the 5th of July, 1952, that I accepted the Lord as my Savior. Whether you be religious or irreligious. When the new church was opened in White Abbey in January of 1953, I was there. And in White Abbey, I would preach my first sermon. Another teenager led the meeting that night. His name was John Douglas. I would later work again in White Abbey with the late Cecil Harvey from Crossgar. At a missionary meeting in the Martyrs where Mrs. Eads from the Cape Verde Islands was speaking, I first felt the Lord was calling me to full-time service. Mrs. Eads was better known as Jessie Munn, and the Munn family, especially Emma when she came from Africa, would have a great impression on my life. Some of us from the Martyrs formed the Victory Testimony Band. We cleaned out a barn in Macroscoos where we held a gospel mission. Many people were saved who are still in the Lord's work today. 
Mr. Jim Douglas from Newton Hards Baptist, a young girl called Betty, today a member of the Martyrs Memorial with her husband. Dr. Paisley would later go there for uh, a gospel campaign, but he only stayed a week, and I had to carry on. Followed up by Reverend David McElveen, another mission, and out of that small beginning, the Bellygown Free Presbyterian Church was formed. In 1954, I got to know outgoing missionaries to Brazil, Fred and I know her. that the Lord opened the door for us to go to Acre. In company with Miss Morley Harvey, we landed in Rio Branco. Fred and I were going to Brazil with the Acre Gospel Mission. They were sent out by Castlereagh Baptist Church. At their final meeting there, Ina sang that beautiful hymn, Let Me Burn Out For Thee. The next night, there would be a large crowd at the boat to wave the couple goodbye. They would travel to Liverpool where they'd take a booth line steamer that would take them 1,000 miles up the Amazon. They travelled on the Hillary. After a few days in Manas, they would then travel for 1,700 miles on the River Perus, the longest tributary of the Amazon. It would be a long, slow journey on a paddle steamer. It would take them at least three weeks and perhaps more. The steamer would stop from time to time to take on wood to burn in its engines and keep the paddles turning. After some days, they would have to change to a smaller steamer as the river got narrower and drier. After eight days on the Sunday evening, Ina said, I've got fever. There was nothing they could do. They couldn't turn back. The steamer just went on and on and on. There was no one could speak English. They couldn't speak Portuguese. And every day, Ina seemed to get worse. At the side of the river, there was just a few houses. But then on the Friday evening at four o'clock, Ina became delirious. Six o'clock, she went unconscious. And eight o'clock in the evening, she went to be with the Lord. The first missionary to arrive in Labria was not to preach the gospel, but he wasn't welcome even so. He had come to bury his wife. Fred would return to Labria after he had learned the language, and he stayed there for some 17 years. Today there's a very strong church that supports their own pastor and has sent out and support missionaries to other parts of that river. They even have a seminary where they prepare students for full-time service. The church has just recently bought its own boat to take the gospel to the people on the rivers. Fred would move to Manas after 17 years where he started another church and where he started another seminary. He later married and today is surrounded by his wife and family. But when the news of Ina's death came to Ireland, it came as a great challenge to many young people. And I felt God was saying I sought for a man to stand in the gap. Following Dr. Paisley's advice, I began my training for full-time service at the Missionary Training College of the WEC Mission in Scotland. Two full years and difficult years because I was always sick. Finally, a few weeks after my 21st birthday, I was accepted for work with the Acre Gospel Mission. However, I would stay in Northern Ireland for another year. We had gospel missions in conjunction with the Faith Mission in Northampton, very near the old Cabra Church, and in the Craig's Mission Hall, and in Maboy Mission Hall. 
Again, many people were saved at those missions. Some today are still in the Lord's work, like George Wright from Cullybeck. Finally, in 1960, in August, I was ready to sail for Brazil. Again, there would be a large crowd of friends gathered at the boat to bid me goodbye. And I would travel to Brazil on the boat line ship, the Hubert, which would take me a thousand miles up the Amazon. I spent three months living with the missionaries in Labria, where I studied the language, Portuguese. My first Christmas away from home ever, I spent in the Boca do Acre with the late Miss Molly Harvey. And finally, in 1961, I moved to Kanatama. Kanatama was just one street along the edge of the river. It was a very small and backward town. And then one street penetrating into the forest from the edge of the river. Our house was one of the best houses in town. We had a modern kitchen and a modern kitchen unit, sink unit here. Because we had no ceilings, we just had to be accustomed to the rats on the headboard of your bed at night. But you got used to it after a while. My first task in Kanatama was to help in the building of the church. The wood was taken from the forest, sawed, planed and put in place. It was a great day when the church was finally completed. But we were there to build up the living church. And after some years, the Lord gave an abundant harvest in that little town. The old wooden church has now been replaced by a permanent brick building. My first year in Kanatama, I lived with Jack and Joan Maudsley. Joan was a nurse, and when she left and furloughed, people still came to the house looking for help. I was called to see a boy bitten by a snake. Where is the nurse? She is on holiday. She's not here. My family spent six days rowing a canoe to get here, with me under a plastic cover, and she is not here. But I'm going to send you to Manas. In Manas, there's a hospital and doctors and nurses, and they will take care of you. How are you going to send me? If there's a boat leaving today, it would take 10 days to get there. I'm going to send you on the plane. It comes once a week. What day does the plane come? On Thursdays. What day is today? It was hard to tell him that it was Friday. I told him I would pray for him. I don't want you to pray for me. I want you to do something to help me, to ease my pain, to save my life. He died on Sunday morning. A little graveyard in the forest just outside Kanatama. It's a simple cross that says, but to me it used to say, do something, do something. A few days later, a neighbour sent me some fish. Don Marie sent this for you. Oh, it's fish. I must have done. It's very hot. It doesn't matter. It never hurts when I burn my hand. Come into the house and let me see your hands. Yes, his hands were indeed burnt. How could a little boy burn his hands and not feel pain? I got out Mrs. Maudley's books and I discovered, yes, that little boy had leprosy and nothing was being done to help him. And then I discovered in almost every house in that little town, someone had leprosy and was hidden away. But what could I do? God would fit me for the job he was calling me to do. 
Not far from Kanatama is the mouth of the Mokoween River, and in the Mokoween there's another tributary, the Forbidden River. It was on this river that lived the very, very hostile Juma Indians. No one ever entered into their village and came out alive. Many of their victims were found without heads. We thought they were headhunters. But God sent wonderful American missionaries with a vision to reach the Juma Indians for Christ, no matter what it cost. They would travel up the Forbidden River, and at the side of the river there, near the Juma territory, they would construct a little house where they would live, sometimes even with their family. In order to travel from Kanatama to the, the Juma River, the late James Gunning would give Arne his boat, the, the good news, to facilitate that travel. From time to time, I would go with Arne into the villages. We never saw the Indians, but they saw us. Sometimes it took us three days to go there and get back again. We took Ited, an Indian from another tribe, hoping that she would tell the Indians we wanted to be their friend. But before she could get the message over, they came out and killed her. The final break after six years, when Arn met two of the Indians on the trail. Some months later, in 1966, I would be with Arn when we arrived at the village, six in the evening. We could hear the Indians talking. We waited until dawn, but when we went into the villages, the Indians had gone. While we waited, a spotted leopard came walking up just a few feet away from us. Eventually, the Indian chief and his wife arrived, and we'd made the first contact in their villages with these savage Indians. Arne kept up that contact, and eventually was able to take his wife and family. His daughter Terry here is with the Indian woman whom I met on that particular day. Finally, a peaceful contact had been made with the Juma Indians. That little woman, so sweet, was later buried alive because nobody had ever told her that Jesus saves. When the contact was principally made, the Brazilian government moved the Juma Indians to another area, and the Abraham sons moved to uh, work with the Brazilian people. Arne went to be with the Lord in 2005, but today his wife, Joyce, continues, even in her 80s, running a Christian school for poor children, hoping to win them for the Saviour. My last year was spent in the Boca do Acre. At the end of that year, 1967, I felt the time had come to move and prepare myself. I prepared a letter for the mission. My mother sent me to tell you that Sebastiana can't go back to school because her foot is bleeding a lot. That family lived on the other side of the river. Several had leprosy. Milton hid in fear, hardly showing his face at the window. Sebastiana was a lovely girl but terribly deformed feet, and nothing was being done. I asked, did the mother want medicines? No, she doesn't want anything. She said you needed to know that my sister is getting worse, and no one does anything to help. I took my letter to the post office, and when I was leaving, the postmistress gave me one that she'd forgotten a letter she'd forgotten to give me. When I opened it, I read these words, where God's finger points, there God's hand will make the way. In 1968, in January, I moved to Manas, where I made my inscription to take entrance exams to the Federal University. I was competing against hundreds of young Brazilians just out of pre-medical school, taking those exams in their own language, chemistry, physics, Portuguese language and literature. I was always a terrible student at Belfast High School. I seldom passed a chemistry exam, and I failed those exams. And what now? Manas is a fastly growing city. My monthly allowance from the mission has been cut off. I have no money. 
what am I going to do? But God's hand made the way. Those exams were repeated only once in the history of any university in Brazil. And in the second round of examinations, I passed. I would often visit the old leprosy hospital just outside Manas. I would see a patient like Alberto. No legs, no hands, and no eyes, but still able to sing God's praise. Oh, if there'd only been an eye specialist, a doctor there to save just a flicker of light in one of those eyes. I would take the dressing off an elderly lady, a sweet Christian lady. But the interocular pressure had been so high in her only eye that it perforated. There was nothing there. Why can't I see, she would ask, as I put the dressing back. There was nothing could be done. At that time, Brazil had 360,000 people with leprosy. And I only knew of one eye specialist who attended one afternoon each week. After graduation, I moved to Rio de Janeiro. I studied ophthalmology in Rio de Janeiro in the Royal Victoria Hospital and again in the Royal Victoria in Dublin. Then I spent some months in India where Dr. Paul Brand and especially his wife Margaret, who's an ophthalmologist, was a great help. In 1979, I returned to the Acre State where I would lead the government's leprosy elimination program for over 30 years. The Acre State covered by a dense jungle with 700,000 inhabitants. The riverways are still our roadways. The capital Rio Branco is a fast-growing city and a modern city. The governor's palace was built at the time of the Great Rubber Boom. Rio Branco is built on the river Acre. In the dry season it dries up, but in the wet season it will fill up again and very often will even overflow its banks. It was in the central hospital in Rio Branca that we set up our clinics to begin to attend the patients in the city of Rio Branco and also to reach out all across the state. Initially, we had help from Miss Emily Gilchrist from Castle Dirk. Emily would teach a young auxiliary nurse pastor how to apply the new medicines for leprosy. 30 years later, that young lady is still working with us. Christian nurse Ruth also worked very closely with Emily. And again, 30 years later, 32 years later, Ruth is still there in the program. A skin specialist called Dr. Leia, and indeed all the team that began with us 30 years ago are still working there in the program to eliminate leprosy from the state. After many years, we began to see people cured of that disease. A young man with advanced leprosy. And then 25 years after being discharged as cured, he still remains without a mark. Leprosy was reduced, yes, 98%. But I also work with another disease called Lobo's disease. It's a fungus disease that grows on the arms in the tropical area. When removed by surgery, it comes back again. But we found out that using three special drugs together, when the disease was removed by surgery, and that's the same year, it didn't come back again. This lady had these lesions on her leg for over 30 years. When she took the medicine, they began to atrophy it. And 
today she can even wear a shoe. Unsightly lesions on the nose. Well, I burn these off every day in the hospital. Today we're working on a special research program with research scientists from Sao Paulo and from the University of Florida to prove that these three drugs that we've been using can cure this disease. Surgery is carried out every day, almost every day, to remove these lesions. And the quality of life improves for an elderly man, the same gentleman, with the lesions removed. But leprosy also affects the hands. And for a young boy, a thing like picking up a cup can be very difficult. He can't really use his thumb. Lucy was a dressmaker, but with paralyzed hands, she could no longer work for she couldn't pick up a needle. And so she could no longer work. But over 30 years ago, surgery, two surgeries to each hand, changed her life. After the surgery was over, she could say, yes, I can pick up my needle again. I can sew. She was so happy. And now, 30 years later on today, she's still sewing at her sewing machine. Leprosy can cause another condition called drop foot. The patient can't lift his foot when he tries. It simply turns inwards. This makes it difficult when he has to walk. And eventually the foot will really turn inwards and become deformed and usually ends up being amputated. However, again, surgery can change all that condition. This man came into hospital, had the surgery. He had to learn how to walk after the surgery was over. But he came to know the Lord in the hospital and 30 years later he's still walking. It was in this hospital too that I set up my clinic to attend those who suffered from eye problems. And for over 30 years, the patients there had the very best of equipment to resolve their eye and ocular problems. We attended many hundreds of patients over the year, not only leprosy patients, but poor people who came in need of help. When you have anesthetic hands that don't feel, then surgery and eyesight is so important and I had the opportunity of operating many, many people. Lino couldn't see, and he couldn't feel, and so even eating was a terrible problem. To find the spoon, and when he does find it, it's difficult even to pick up. How thankful we should be that we have hands that can pick up things, and eyes that can see. Eventually he gets the spoon, but he doesn't really realize that there's a lot of food in the tray, and very often he'll only eat what he finds at the front. But again, surgery to remove the cataract with a high-powered microscope can bring about a radical change and move the quality of life. For this man who's already suffered so much, now he can see. It's easier to find this spoon. It's easier to pick it up. He'll even check the wheelchair and make sure it's all right. I was traveling through the United States on my way back to Brazil on one occasion, and I picked up a portable operating microscope contained in this suitcase. I would travel with it in small planes over the jungle to Tarawaka, Labria, Canatama, Cruzeiro do Sul, Porto Velho, Manaus, and even to West Africa and it helped me to bring back vision to many, many, many people. 
One of the first surgeries that I did in the Acre State was in Tarawaka. Dr. Tom Gellis was helping me. The patient was a 90-year-old lady. We were just about finishing the surgery. I was helping Bill when the nurse said that Donna Anna's pressure had dropped and we noticed she had stopped breathing. It meant leaving the surgery to, to Bill alone and then trying to uh, some cardiac ex, uh, external cardiac massage and thankfully she began breathing and her heart beating again. It wasn't our only adventure with Bill in an operating table, an operating theatre. He arrived at our door in Rio Branco once with the signs and symptoms of acute appendicitis. The only hospital I had the contact with was the maternity hospital and when I spoke to the director, he kindly agreed to get out of his sick bed and give the anaesthetic. We removed Bill's appendix, and as he was recovering from the anaesthetic, the nurse asked him, told him it was all over. She then said, it was a little boy. What are you going to call him? Bill said, Paisley. He then went on to ask me if I knew that Dr. Paisley was having his twins adopted. And I said, no. He said, it's because they won't take their orange juice. You can take a man out of Ulster, but you can't take Ulster out of a man. You don't believe what he says about the Ulster man, but I hope you like my car, especially the number plate. Donna Anna survived that surgery, and so did I. Dr. Tom and his wife Lucy Marr carry on a very valuable work in the schools in Rio Branco today where 2,000 children are taught each week the Word of God. I would often fly in those early days across the jungle. I'd look down on the forest from those little plains hour after hour. The rivers were still our roadways, but there in the heart of the jungle, I would see a little dot, a little house, and I would realise it was someone who had never heard the gospel and needed the medication for leprosy. I would go to every home where someone had that disease. Eventually we would put the canoe into the river. Donna Maria Jose will be gone now for three weeks. I would spend six weeks on this boat at a time, travelling right to the very headwaters of all the rivers in the Acre State, day after day, and often week after week. Three years I spent Christmas and New Year on, on those boats. We eat on the boat, we live on the boat. We, we sleep on the boat when night time comes. We put up our hammocks and uh, we spend the night there. But with the darkness also comes the mosquitoes in their hundreds. Yes, we're stuck. We're stuck on the rocks. So we all have to jump in the river and push. Everybody has to push. When you're stuck, it's the safest place to be is in the water. The boat eventually floated away. But one of the workers was left behind. I told him to hurry up because he wasn't alone in the river but very often we would go there from that boat to visit the homes of the people. We'd leave behind in every home some copy of God's Word, and they were never refused. 
When the river dries up, there's nothing to do but wade through the mud. How often I've had to do that myself. I used to sing some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, and I'm in the mud. Yes, we'd leave the boat and travel by canoe, and some journeys maybe for six days. The river can really flow very fastly, and it can become very dangerous when you're in a canoe if you're traveling. The river Tarawaka is a great river, a mighty river. You can see the volume of water here, but this is the same river where we go to at the headwaters. And I've been to the headwaters of every river that cuts across the Acre State. The people in the canoe are there to get their medication. The man has leprosy. But the women in this picture, a few months later, were killed by Indians who came out of the forest and, and speared them to death. We eat in the canoe. And of course, it's a self-service restaurant. He uses his hands because his feet are occupied. But we can have a refreshing drink to wash it down. Sometimes we face dangers and difficulties to get through. The river can flow very fast. And then we can come across a problem like this. You need to watch your heads when you come to a place like this. When I shout, duck, everybody, duck! Three times to reach the homes of patients I had to swim. And again, I'm reminded that you're not alone in those waters. My last journey on a horse was three days through the forest to attend patients. In the canoe, we'll do even biopsies and minor surgeries to help those who need them. And some of those riverbanks can be so hard and difficult to climb. And some of the bridges are not easy to get over. Wonder will I make it? It's quite a struggle to get me across. My last trip walking through the forest was just two years ago. I was in my 70s at the time. And my last river trip was last year in December of 2009. But I will make it across and back again on the return journey. It's tricky going, but we'll get there. But I wonder, will the nurse that works with me, will he make it? Oh, it's not easy. Yes, we walk through the forest, sometimes for hours on end. And it's not always plain going. Sometimes we're going downhill and coming uphill and it can be so difficult. Matt. I got a cigarette. And when we walk through the forest, we encounter many difficulties. Not only the spotted leopard, a potential danger, a very highly poisonous snake. Hard to be seen there in the middle of the, the ground, in the middle of the bushes and the leaves. 
another bridge to get across, and finally we arrive at the patient's house. On this particular trip, it took three hours there, and three hours back again to the edge of the river. We're glad to arrive. On this particular day, we had lunch of uh, boiled monkey and mandioc root. And it's wonderful when you get back after a journey like this, even to the canoe, where you can stretch out and rest on your way back again to the boat. And after many hours, it's just amazing to get back to the old floating bathtub, but it's so home. It has been home now for six weeks. And we're glad to get back again into the boat. We do it because we come across people like this. This young man has leprosy. He lives away at the headwaters of one of those rivers. He needs the medication. You can see just one skin patch on his back here, but he has many other skin patches on his body. This man also lived on the same river. But he didn't have the medication and he became deformed. But the former man that you saw there today is completely healed. There's not a mark on his body. 15,000 patients have been cured of leprosy since I went to the Acre. Even Milton, who hid away in fear, was eventually cured. And hundreds and hundreds like him. Doctors, nurses, politicians. My first journey on the River Tej was just about 25 years ago. It rained and rained every day. At night we'd look for a home at the side of the river, put up our hammocks and spend the night. But the rain continued day after day for six days. But in every home we left behind some copy of God's precious word. Jonas was just a young boy when he was treated for leprosy and cured. But he read the gospel literature left and came to know the Lord. Several of his cousins also came to the Lord. And today there are many little congregations dotted along that river where the gospel is preached each week. Today I live in a comfortable home here in Rio Branco. But I still have some unpleasant visitors. Tarantula spiders are a common thing in the house. And of course the ants. My special thanks to all who have prayed and supported me over the years, especially to my pastor, Dr. Paisley, and his family, to the Acre Gospel missionaries, with whom I've always had very good fellowship, people like the late James Gunning, and, of course, his wife, Dory. How good is the God we adore? The president and his wife, Victor Maxwell, and their family. Mr. and Mrs. Bird, especially Dorothy, who wrote to me every month for 50 years. Mr. George Doggett, who was missionary secretary for 25 of those years. Mrs. Ross, who faithfully sent out uh, support from the Missionary Council. The challenge remains, that little woman who was buried alive because she'd never heard that Jesus saves. But her grandchild will not have her fate living with Christian missionaries, we praying she'll come to the Lord. As we fly over the forest of the Amazon Valley, and even in that state of Acre, there are still 
perhaps six tribes of Indians who have never been reached with the gospel message or contact by the outside world. Some years ago in a terrible famine in the Sudan, a well-known photographer took this very dramatic picture, a dying child and a vulture waiting to devour its flesh. He won many prizes because of that picture. But then the questions began to come in. What happened to the child? Did it die? Did the vulture attack it? However, he couldn't answer. He had stood still for 20 minutes waiting for the vulture to land and then he snapped his photograph and walked away. Jesus said to his disciples, will you also walk away? God has promised where his finger points, his hand will make the way. He may not remove the waterfall, but he'll give you the strength as he's done for me and others on many occasions to take the canoe out of the water and pull it up the bank and put it back in after the waterfall and then go back for the motor. time whenever I was in Brazil and I've brought it tonight. <laughs> it's a leopard skin. I don't know whether it was that one uh, that was prowling about whenever he was there, but we've had that in our home <coughs> for quite some time. Go through with God. We'll sing one verse of this hymn, Above Thine Own Ambitions, here. We're going to sing the second verse, The Call of God, it is so clear, but friendship's call and home is dear. Uh, lonely was the path he trod, then wilt thou not go through with God. <coughs> this song, Let Me Burn Out For Thee. Ina Orr sang it the night when she left Northern Ireland to go to the mission field. And it's a song I believe is synonymous with Brazil and with other mission fields. And I want you to hear it tonight. <clears throat> I've got some 
photographs put in of Brazil. There's a few of Nepal, some of you will remember that, and uh, some of Romania as well. But it's the words that we want you to listen to. Give me for the broken vow. 
I heed thy call and say farewell to all that would hinder me. Thy grace and thy love to lost ones tell, and my life burn out for thee. continue to pray for the land of Israel in the midst of war and also Ukraine. Tonight we pray for the children's ministry and Dr. Tom Geddes, um, he's not well and we're asking you to remember him before the throne of grace. And <clears throat> the others that we are remembering, Derek McLaughlin, who has recently come to know the Lord, he's in hospital and the school's ministry, youth fellowship tomorrow night with Chris the election of the elders and the various sick ones of the, fa the church family. And we, Emily, Emily is improving. I've heard that this evening. And do remember Kirsty. Kirsty sent this wee update. <coughs> She's had the opportunity now this week to go to the Netherlands. And she'll be there until Saturday. They're divided into two teams and they'll be engaged in outreach as they preach the gospel. So please remember. Kirsty at the throne of grace. If you're joining us on the internet, we say good night to you now, and we trust that you've been blessed as you've listened uh, to the presentation this evening. And as a church, we come to our time of prayer just now. <clears throat>